Thanks so much for being with us today. Well, on Tuesday, some restaurants opened their doors uh, following the new rules that were laid out by our provincial health officer. If you went to a restaurant, you likely know there weren't very many people there because the tables all have to be two meters apart. They can't be there in groups of more than six people. But I know a lot of people were still very excited to head out and at least take part in some part of the reopening of the economy. There have been some discussions, though, and I think mainly online, about the one particular point, and that is one person in the group at least giving a phone number or giving that phone number to the restaurant for in case down the road somebody tests positive or there's a a possible chance that you are exposed to COVID-19. Well, let's bring in Kyla Lee, a lawyer at Acumen Law who has written a piece about this and is joining us to talk more about it. Kyla, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, you wrote uh, a uh, column about this, saying that this is not an invasion of privacy. So what is your response to people suggesting that giving over that phone number is just too much? Well, I mean, my response is that you're, you're being a little bit ridiculous, unfortunately. The, the reality is that going to a restaurant is a privilege. Lots of people can't afford to do it ever. So you're lucky that you're in a position that you're able to do it. And having to give your phone number in the event that contact tracing is necessary is not a huge intrusion into any liberties that you have. You don't have a constitutional right to dine at a restaurant. And and the information itself, because I guess some of the concern was, oh, but if I give this my my phone number, I'm going to start getting calls, unsolicited calls or offers on my phone. I, I mean, I'm guessing that's what some of the concern was, but it's not as though restaurants can take that phone number and start doing that. No, uh, there's actually rules around this. So if there's a public health order that requires certain information to be collected, as there is in the case of restaurants obtaining contact information for one member of the party, um, it is an offense under the Public Health Act to use, disseminate, or publish that information for any purpose unrelated to the purposes of the Public Health Act. So the restaurant is only allowed to essentially store it and turn it over to the public health officer if they're asked to do so. Beyond that, they can't do anything with it. And the information itself then, so say, is the scenario being that you go to a restaurant, you hand over your phone number, then it would really be the onus would be on you. So say you're the person that comes down with the coronavirus that, that gets infected. You're still the one that has to tell the health authorities that you dined at that restaurant. And then it would be the restaurant, I guess, that would, would contact other people that might have been sitting nearby or could have been exposed? Yes, exactly. So you would contact the health authority or the health authority would likely contact you after your test came back positive. They would go through the places that you were in the days and the incubation period leading up to um, your diagnosis. And when you said the restaurant, they would then contact the restaurant and, and find out where you were seated and what, you know, who is at risk as a result of dealing with you. And again, I'm just I'm trying to figure out the outrage that some people have to this. So would the concern there be that they know who you are, the workers at the restaurant know that, oh, well, Jill Bennett was here and they're going to start telling people that that your personal information, your personal health information would be shared? The reality is that when the public health officials contact um, the restaurant, uh, they will just ask for all of the information and then they'll use it appropriately. So anytime they do this, and they've been doing this for ages in in the case of transmission of of, uh, sexually transmitted infections, where they do contact tracing for that to determine who your last sexual partners were. They protect your identity as much as they can 
so that it's not known that you contracted the coronavirus and that you possibly spread it at the restaurant. It's only known that somebody who attended the restaurant in this party of people uh, or is seated in this area um, was a person who was uh, who was infected. Mm. So do you think it, it then goes far enough that they're taking one phone number from a group? I think it, it, it does. I mean, the assumption is that if you're with a group of people and you're at a restaurant, you're likely familiar enough or, or close enough with them, particularly because we have just only mildly expanded our bubbles now, that you're going to be comfortable sharing that information with them. If we're expanding our bubble to include somebody we're going to a restaurant with, because of how little we can expand those bubbles at this point in time, most of us are expanding them to the people that we're closest with that we haven't been able to see. And presumably, if you yeah, if you like somebody enough that they're in your first phase of expansion and you're going out with them, we can make the assumption, I think, that you like them enough to protect them, that if there's an, an exposure to the virus, you would want them to know. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I think the people who are who are even still concerned about this after that, uh, to me, it comes off as incredibly selfish that you're not wanting to do a very small thing that probably won't impact you in any way, shape or form to protect the people you know and the people in your community. Uh, it also raises, and I think you've, you've touched on this in the piece that you wrote, in that d- unless you live completely off the grid, you've probably done way more to share your information and share your private information than giving over a phone number at a restaurant. Yes, we give our information to the government all the time. If you've purchased insurance for your vehicle, you've given your phone number and your contact information to ICBC, who share it with the government, and that information can be accessed in police databases. If you get a driver's license or a health services card, you provide contact information to the government, including your address, and you're legally obligated to update that. So it's not as though the government doesn't know where you are or where you live and how to get a hold of you. Um, And most of the time, they already have your phone number because you've given it for your insurance or you've given it for a medical purpose. Uh, exactly. Uh, in your case, too, because you're in a bit of a, a, a different position in that we've talked to you before when you got COVID-19. And, and I remember you saying that you were pretty sure you had to have gotten it on at an airport or on a flight. It's unclear. So in that scenario, would, would the airlines have contacted? Was your case one that they would have gone and said, oh, there's possible exposure at these places? Not um, for my case, but where they had positive tests. Um, from people who were tested, who had been on flights. Um, Anybody who was a positive test, they listed the affected seats and they published them on the BCCDC website with a list of flights. If you were seated in any of these rows, you could have been exposed to COVID-19. And so you should, you know, contact your health provider and get a, a COVID test. So that information was already published up until there were too many flights and too much to manage. They were actually doing the contact tracing and contacting people using information, including phone numbers that the airlines had collected. Right, which people uh, seem to have no problem handing that over even pre-COVID to fly. No, exactly. And airlines are federally regulated and can be compelled to hand that information over to the government. What do you say, though, the, the arguments I was seeing on this as well, people saying, well, it's not just the phone number, it's that this is one little step, and if you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. But they're not going to take a mile. At the end of the day, if you really feel that this order is unjustified, you do have a legal remedy. You can file uh, an application in court to have the order reviewed by a BC court judge, um, and the judge can determine whether the order goes too far. So there is a mechanism in place to prevent government overreach. 
in my legal opinion, this would not be struck down as going too far. All right. Uh, interesting uh, times and the fact that we're even talking about uh, this and the concerns with handing over a phone number. Uh, Kyla, thanks so much. Thanks for writing this and for joining us to talk about it. Thanks for having me. That is Kyla Lee. She is a lawyer in uh, Vancouver with Acumen Law. We're going to take a break, uh, have a listen to Reality Check, and then we'll open up the phone lines once again.